Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by my two co-hosts Dave Glanz and Mike Morani. Say hello gentlemen. Hello gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we uh, talk about classic movies from a modern cinematic context. You can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com, at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. And on today's episode, in honor of Robin Williams, who has recently um, passed away, we are going to be talking about Good Morning Vietnam, his classic film that earned him an Oscar nomination, I believe his first Oscar nomination. A whole lot of stuff. And um, game basically made his transition from a comedic sitcom actor to a... um, Hollywood icon in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a big transitionary role for him, and it's also impressive because I've never seen this movie ever. Huh. I know, so I did not know that. So uh, it's a good one to talk about, especially as a good way to reminisce about Robin Williams and his career. Um, there's a lot of classic roles that he's been in, such as Dead Poet Society, Goodwill Hunting, that kind of thing. But this is the movie that kind of really cemented. Um, made him, it made him a star. It made him yeah. a star, yeah. or like a. Picture a man going on a journey beyond sight and sound. He's entered the demilitarized zone. Good morning, Vietnam! Wow! I Time to rocket from the Delta to the DMZ. It's 0600. What's the O stand for? Oh, my God. It's Mr. Leo. You know, this whole camouflage thing for me doesn't work very well. Why is that? Well, because you go in the jungle, I can't see you. If you're going to fight, clash. That is not what we program here. Surprise, surprise, surprise. You are not funny. You're not going to last long here. Boy, do I have a surprise for you. Good morning, Vietnam. In 1965, Adrian Cronauer was sent to do the impossible. I was sent here on very strict orders from a colonel. What the hell's going on here? His mission? To build morale. Where are you from? Off of uh, Cleveland, man. Obviously, Vietnam's not that much of a change for you. His strategy? Keep them laughing. If someone is not telling the truth, you say that they are full of... His problem? Staying out of trouble. You want to stick to playing normal modes of music. Jim Neighbors, Matovani. Percy Faith. Percy Faith, good! Uh, Mike, why don't you tell me? I'm guessing you've never seen this movie. Nope, no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, so, in watching this, uh, th- what, uh, this movie came out what, 1989, 87? Sorry, let me. So, we should also point out this is the first movie that we've actually asked listeners, our, the whole handful of listeners yeah. that we have. We got like six people to tell us what to watch this week. So, we <laughs> no, are. No, 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 no. Yeah. 6,000 people, I think. <laughs> 6, numbers, 6, you have the period Sorry. in the wrong place. Well, you know, we the don't really one. advertise this podcast, so it's not like we're working that hard to gain listeners. We're doing either, a good so. Anyway, <laughs> no, but people sp- the people spoke. Oh, an overwhelming good. majority. Yeah. Yeah, Dave wanted to do the Fisher King, which would have made for an interesting conversation as well. I will say that. Um, But uh, this is a good one, too, uh, just because I feel like this movie is definitely more well-known than the Fisher King. I'll give it that. Because the Fisher King more is a cult audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I think this is a more mainstream movie by far. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Mike, I want to know what you think of this movie. I I think I know exactly what you're going to say about this movie, but... I want to hear it from your. Fi- oh, I, uh, your I want to hear what you say first, uh, and then I'm gonna. No, no, we can't gonna, change the right, format. Of the what we're show. gonna do. We're gonna get you right under a piece of paper. You're gonna slip it to Dave. <laughs> I'm gonna read my thing, and Dave's gonna read aloud to our audience. What do you think? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Um, okay. I like Robin Williams, so it's really tough not to enjoy it. Um, I, I think it has its some of the sound. I, I think it's half and half. I think Robin Williams goes so fast. And his brain thinks so quickly that I have a hard time as a mortal keeping up with what he's saying half the time. 
I had a couple spots where I felt like it was hard just to kind of follow, um, especially all like there's some people that speak very, very broken English. So sometimes it made it hard to understand as far as what people were saying. But that's really like my only gripe. I mean, not my only gripe, but um, uh, I thought it was great. I think this is a per- the perfect role for Robin Williams. I see why it rocketed him to stardom because this is really, it was one of those, um, I- I've always seen him, and now especially in light of recent stuff, um, I've always seen Robin Williams as like a very happy, manic kind of guy, but I've also, there's always been something that seemed very sad to me. Like he seemed to kind of have Dave's, uh, <laughs> I really hope we got that on the microphone. Um, Dave's um, recording fully sound effects of pouring whiskey right now. He's got like, I picture glug, him with glug, the, glug, glug, glug. I picture him in the corner with wooden clogs, like making like the horse clopping noise. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, I don't know. There's something about Robin Williams that always seemed very sad to me. I think like he had, I, I think he kind of got the whole picture. I think he really, I think a lot of comics don't have a sad side of the more serious side of the movie. They do. Um, I, I feel like that's kind of necessary for you to be a really good comic and a really good actor. And I think later in his career, he kind of took on some more serious roles. Some even, I think some like creepy roles. He had one movie where he was like a photo developer. Yeah, one hour photo. One hour yeah. photo, right. And he did phenomenally as far mm-hmm. as I know. Um, but he's always kind of had, and I think that's why I liked him so, so much, is that he's so as as off the wall and as like zany he, as he gets. Um, there's also a very sober, very like, um, uh, not misunderstood, but a relatable mm-hmm. um, side to him. He's, he's kind of seen some things. He kind of gets, you know, the, the reality of, of life. And um, that's something I've always liked about him. And I think in every one of his movies I've seen that he's been good in, he, he showcases both sides of that. I think this is a perfect example where he does, he, he shows, you know, when he's, a fast-mouthing DJ just kind of riffing and going nuts like at, at the speed of light just one after and after another and he's probably improving. I'm, I'm almost convinced that was all yeah. improv right off the cuff so that just tells you how, how quick he could think but then there's also some scenes where you know you feel bad for the guy and you feel like the weight of the world is kind of on his shoulders as I feel like uh, it is in a lot of his films so um, yeah I think this is a classic I think it should be yeah Oh, we didn't talk too much about what this movie was about quite yet, right? It's about no, that's a good. It's not really yeah. about anything, as far as I can tell. It's a Art Nouveau. <laughs> Dave, tell us the plot of Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, it's a it's a fictional recounting of the story of Adrian Cronauer, who was a DJ in the in the early '60s. He was in the armed. I think he was in the armed forces uh, radio network. Radio, radio, was yeah. was, uh, was where he actually was, and he was and he was like a stationed. I forget where before the movie takes place, and then he's he's moved into you know. Vietnam. I'm assuming it's Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon. Um, and it's just about how uh, you know he's this go against the grain, uh, wild kind of DJ, and uh, um, it's just about uh, how he you know tries to tell, be a truth teller, and about his personal growth during the Vietnam War and how he sees certain things and has certain relationships and and how he uh, you know entertains the troops. So it's it's that kind of movie. And uh, anyway, so yeah, he kind of has like he has two. I think he wants to make, entertain people, but he also wants to get the truth out too. It's like a right. double-edged sword. He's there right. as a you know as comic relief, but he also wants to make sure that everyone knows what's actually going on in this conflict. Right. Yeah. So uh, I've never been a huge Robin Williams fan, to be perfectly honest. Ooh. The movie, the movies that I've I've liked with Robin Williams are always the ones where he's the least Robin Williams. What's an example like, of when that? He, so, Big Blue Genie. So when he was Big Blue well, Genie what, in so Aladdin. My, my favorite movies of his were always Goodwill Hunting, and, uh, and before that, maybe Awakenings. 
uh, which I don't know Ooh, if Awakenings is a good movie. I Awakenings, like Awakenings is a really good I heard movie. About this, with, my parents that's just a Penny Marshall this, film, right? right? It's it's definitely Penny Marshall's best movie, and, and uh, with with Robert Ooh. De Niro. Oh, A League of Their Own. A League of Their Own, I man. I know, I know you like baseball and, and League of Their Own. League of Their Own, man. I can't believe this guy. Look at this over making fun of League of Their Own. I'm Who are you? Who are you? It's a better movie than League of Their Own. Podcast is getting more of an ego here. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and there were, and even in his more manic movies, he does have a lot of quiet moments where I always appreciated him more. The humor sometimes people equate fast with with smart, and uh, I think with Robin Williams, for the most part, it's true. I think there's a yeah. lot of brilliance in his comedy, but um, and in this movie in particular is a perfect fit because it required the character requires. Uh, uh, someone who's like a fast talking, fast thinking, wise faster ass. thinking than his yeah, uh, yeah wise ass. He's got to be smarter than his his, his boss. He's got to be smarter than the other colonels or whoever you know whoever's in charge in the in the, in the radio station. Um, so it, it's appropriate, of course. If you read a little more into like the making of this movie, you find out that Adrian Cronauer in real life was, was yeah. very wasn't so much like this guy. He was a he was a larger than life personality, but he wasn't like a. He wouldn't be making jokes about Nixon, for instance. He was a Republican, and he was... Um, he was very know, pro... It wasn't anti-war, but he wasn't... He wasn't uh, yeah, he was a soldier. He, he wasn't you know, really he was, anti-war. Yeah, yeah. But this movie came out in 87, and this was part of a... I would say, after Apocalypse Now, late 80s, going into like, a, you know, I'm sorry, the late 70s and the late 80s, there were a lot of Vietnam movies. There were a lot of movies that it was like finally time to start like reflecting on Vietnam. So this was one of the... A bunch of movies, like... Platoon. Um, I'm thinking of Hamburger Hill, and uh, there's a, a lot. I, I, I'm drawing a blank, but there were a lot of movies, and Oliver Stone's associated with like these late '60s, early '70s, you know, harkening back to uh, the Vietnam War and reflecting on you know the horror of war, and and uh, so Good Morning, Good Morning Vietnam was just like, well, there's a lot of movies being made about Vietnam now, so uh, you know what can you know what can we do with uh, and this comes after MASH was already a very right. popular thing in American culture. Right. Right. And, um, so they weren't going to make a, a movie that was really pro-war, right? They weren't going to take the real Adrian Cronauer and, mm. and, and, uh, and you know, because, I mean, you know, that really probably wouldn't have made for a, a, as interesting a story. You know, it always, it's, it's interesting to me. And this, I see this all the time when they have things based on something else. Mm. Um, if it's so far off, if I'm, if I'm Adrian Cronauer, right, I'm looking at this and saying, this is not what happened at all. This is not what I'm like. Mm. Why... I guess for the fame and for the renown, why would you even have him use your name? Why not just make it a completely different story? I don't know. Story, and that's, and that's exactly what I thought when I was watching yeah. the movie. Like, it's, it's interesting to me that, that since he was so different than the real guy, why well, did didn't they you, just... Are you familiar with this movie from before, Dave? Yes, I I, I saw this movie uh, probably on VHS when it you know, came, on, came out in the late 80s. You know, I, I saw it a, a bunch of times on TV, bits okay. and pieces. It's one of those movies I grew up with. and. Um, but uh, I was never, you know, I was never a huge Robin Williams fan. I mean, I, you know, I didn't. What I is it about? You didn't I didn't. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just never connected with. Never really. Yeah, okay. I just never really connected with him. I mean, I, I, I really liked him in these quieter roles. I mean, that's. I feel like the uh, there's more tension there or something like the, the, something. He's, he's, a, he's a great actor. He's, he's. I agree. Very, I think very he's good. a Juilliard yeah. trained actor, and he was he was always, uh, you know, even in, in bad movies, I thought he was always good. It's just that uh, you know, in his later career, he. The taste, his taste, and and or at least what he what he was being offered was wasn't so good. I mean, he wasn't making a lot of good movies. I mean, the last 
big hit I, he had, I think, was in the late 90s, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it was. But he did, you know, he did kind of, he made a couple uh, ones in the 2000s. Uh, World, World's Greatest Dad was a pretty good one. Was it good? And uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't think it did. Oh, I'm thinking of RV actually. No, oh, no, I know you're no, talking no. about. Thinking, <laughs> very, sorry, very RV. Very yes, yes, they are. Yes, they are. That's right. Um, World's Greatest Dad is one I. But did Good Morning Vietnam yeah. was the start of this like streak of of great. I mean, he had like 15 years of being like one of the top international stars, and yeah. Good Morning Vietnam was the beginning of it. And and uh, he's just such a force in this movie. Um, I think that you know, in a movie like this, in a movie like Aladdin, I think you know. Uh, it uses his talents well, and uh, as far as the the actual arc of the character, where you know he, he starts off as kind of like a little cynical and not caring too much about what's going on, very sarcastic, and then he starts to care more about uh, what's going on in Vietnam, having made these friends in Vietnam, and and uh, uh, I thought that was okay. I didn't think it was the strongest part of the movie, um, but uh, you know, this overall, this is I, I'm talking a lot here. It, Jump yeah, jump get, in, yeah. yeah, I think you should jump in. It's, Ivan, it's a good, have you seen this good movie? movie. I mean, it's hard to argue. I mean, it's, it's I, a good movie. You have not seen this movie. Well, I just saw it for the first time on uh, Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so a couple days Cutting ago. Kind of close, Ivan. Kind of close. I was a little nervous. I rented it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's where I go to. Because Amazon, I, fund us. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to uh, rent it on Netflix, and it's like this extremely long wait yeah, right well, now. because I sent you the link. Because... Because I just was like, whoa, I can't wait for that. So I need to get on this. Uh, I'm kind mm-hmm. of in between both of you, I think. Uh, I agree with Dave that I'm not the biggest Robin Williams guy. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with the speed of his humor. Just and because, the lack of your soul, I think, is well. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, like, I don't like his stand-up specials. Because, like you said, Mike, I have trouble, mm-hmm. like, getting the joke before he's already moved on yeah, to the Yeah, I get one. it. Five jokes And I'll get, past, like, so, yeah. like... I mean, I love stand-up comedy where I can really like relish the joke and then yeah. like really appreciate the bit and then move on. So it's almost like he's a guitar solo, and if you like that kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If you like, <laughs> I, I kind of actually consider it more like jazz music. Like, okay. like people that are really into jazz get like really into the improvisation of it mm-hmm. and like how it moves. But me, I, mean, I just I, want a good song, man. Give me a good guitar yeah, riff, and I I'm good to if go. He, if he slowed it down, I think he would. The truth, baby. It would, it would do him a service to slow. But I tell you, I, I, there's something really cool about seeing someone being able to think. I I think he, that fast. Yeah, like, I, I agree. That being said, I love certain Robin Williams movies. Yeah. I think that if you look back at his career, and I'll get to get uh, Good Morning Vietnam in a second, but you look at how he kind of changed movies. Uh, let's look at the genie, the character from Aladdin. Mm. He every movie after that had some comedic sidekick that was a fast-talking comedic cartoon sidekick. He changed <laughs> like how car- like how cartoons market themselves. That's mm. true. That didn't exist before the genie with pop culture references and being very hip and. and I mean, think about that. I mean, he just... Mm. Uh, yeah. There was none before. I mean, there wasn't... And, and say was, Dis- just Disney. Let's just well, think about what's Disney, become but. before that. So before that's like Beauty and the Beast. There's not really a fast-talking, wise-cracking sidekick in that movie. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even in Beauty and the Beast, you know, I mean, it's not Beauty and the Beast. Even in The Little Mermaid, even Sebastian the Crab, maybe. Not the same. But yeah. it's not the same kind of style. But then you go after that movie and you've got the... You've got Eddie Murphy as the, the wise dragon. as the wise talking yeah. dragon and move yeah. on. And you've yeah. got, you know, the wise talking gargoyles from uh from um Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like every movie kind of like became that, which I think yeah. he had a profound effect. Yeah. And then also just the just how his per- effect on comedy and so many roles as a kid. I mean, I know that Dave is gonna poop on Hook, but Hook like was I'm a, not gonna poop on Hook. Hook was a very like important movie for me as a kid. That <laughs> movie hit at the right time for me. I loved yeah. Hook as a kid. Mrs. Doubtfire was formative for me. So I think. like it, it, that kind of certain... spoke to me in my cross dressing yeah. practices. Yeah, so yeah. that really <laughs> I was just looking at Mike's breasts. <laughs> <laughs> only Pex, thank you very much. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, only during the podcast. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna make him dance. There you go, Dave. <laughs> That's for you. But the, <laughs> drink I, it in. Dave. Oh, they lit on fire. This makes 
makes great radio, but Mike is actually moving his pecs right now. I'm actually pec dancing. Um, so I think that he's had a profound effect on movies. He's, his career is incredibly important. Um, going to this movie, I think this is the definition of a good movie that is uninteresting. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like that sounds like a really backhanded compliment. I think it's mm-hmm. a good movie. Mm-hmm. I also feel like... Um, I, I actually warmed up to it much more as it went on. I think yes. it got far yes. more interesting in the second half of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think the beginning part where he shows up and he's the unconventional DJ that's mm-hmm. going to turn everyone on their heads by playing mm-hmm. rock music. But again, this is one of those things that, yes, it's cliche now, but I feel like at the time, maybe it wasn't so much. Right. You know? and, 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 um, and as I was watching it, I was thinking of you the entire time, which is why I said I thought I knew what you were going to say, is because Mike's going to say, I don't know if this was cliche at the time, yeah. but it yeah. feels really cliche in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, when the movie starts becoming more about censorship and getting atro- uh, across the truth, mm-hmm. I find that I found that far more interesting yeah, there's than a, him being the unconventional DJ who doesn't get along with his superior. He's officers. an unconventional DJ. There, the United States <laughs> Army. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I say there's something I thought I, I was. It started veering into the direction of him chasing after the girl, and I'm like, I'm not buying this. I there's wasn't no either. way it would no, work. Wasn't That's why I was saying that. And that I was part of the story wasn't. Yeah, yeah. But then I when the that, when the movie takes that turn, when I'll it talks you, about censorship and the plot with the girl actually forms some depth in relation relationships about the conflict in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I really bought into the movie. And I think that the final hour is actually very strong. And there are two scenes um, in wait, succession. Wait, can I say them? Yeah, can there are two scenes in succession yeah. that, are the, that are the best parts of the whole movie by And far. I think I would say without these two scenes, I think the whole movie would fall apart. I agree. So it's what the are they scene about? when he's at the microphone and he has the news in front of him. He has the choice whether to read it or not read it. And you can see he kind of has that moment where he stops and puts his head against the microphone and he's just mm-hmm. like, ah, I gotta say it. And he starts mm-hmm. reading the, 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 fall, uh, the actual news, right? right? And the way he does it, by the way, is brilliant. Like, nothing mm-hmm. officially happened is what... Mm-hmm. He's following, direct, following right. orders, right? right? I don't think that was one of your two scenes. No. The second yeah. scene, though, is one where he's in the van with uh, Fars Whitaker and he's surrounded by the soldiers and they kind of like... Yeah, that's the first one. And that is just... That gave me chills. Because like, you can see he doesn't want to do it. He even says something like, guys, it's hot. I don't want to do this radio BS. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not in the mood. Right. And then once he gets going, he kind of... You can see it's, this is something he's born to do he can't he can't resist doing it he starts talking to these guys you can see the gift he has like Mm -hmm. making all these guys who are probably going to go off to die for the most part Mm -hmm. right making them laugh and kind of giving them something to like cheer and laugh about right before they're essentially going off and that's that's the scene i was talking about and then the scene following that is the ironic uh wonderful world montage oh yeah Um, i wouldn't say it's a scene but the reason i bring that up is i think that i don't think uh, it's a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong has ever been used non-ironically in a movie. Can you think of a time when it's not been used <laughs> no, non-ironically? No, no. Every time I think of it, people use it in an ironic fashion. That right. being said, at the end of Twelve Monkeys, at the end of Twelve Monkeys, it's yeah. used as a, a, ironically. Yeah. Here, yes, it, that that concept is somewhat cliche at this point, but I still think it's really it really effective. works. It really works, it, yeah. and um, it it kind of gets at the at that it gives the movie a, a soul in a mm-hmm. sense and it takes the movie from being a record scratch type comedy you know yeah. to, to something that has more depth and, so, and, and you can even see his face like when he's watching the soldiers drive off to a certain bittersweet like where he realizes I'm probably you know these guys are all going to go off to die but I, I, I was able to do something for them I was able mm-hmm. to you know this is what it's all about I think he kind of starts understanding why it's important for him to be a DJ and why he is doing what he's doing you know it's a special thing to do hey what's your name Jimmy Wilkes Jimmy Wilkes where are you from Jimmy I'm also in New York oh two boys turned together <laughs> Hey, he said, well, I got drunk, man. All of a sudden, I went for a tattoo. Next thing you know, I'm on a fucking truck. What happened? Well, <laughs> baby, I don't know what's going down. But you're both from New York. Nice to have you here. Like, you're just, like, hanging out. You're headed north. Where are you going to? Not train. 
Yeah, you, know, you gotta be careful, Jack. That's some heavy stuff up there. That's like Newark after dark. You gotta watch out. <laughs> That's some heavy shit going down, baby. You feel like George Wallace campaigning in Harlem. Hi, have you seen my face get your ass out of here? Gotta watch it. What type of music? You guys And be from careful. a screenwriting perspective, it's an incredible, it's a great way to get your main character to go back and take the microphone again after he's you know sworn he's never going to do it again, blah, blah, blah. It's a great device that does it in a very natural way that just feels right for the movie. So I think mm. that alone really made me respect the movie a lot more. But like, I think you're right, Mike. I think I need to watch it again because a lot of the bits like I would just miss. And the thing, yeah. my logical brain was like, but if this was on the radio on a crappy sound system, no one could even understand what he would be saying because right. he's talking so fast. Right. I yeah. mean, I talk too fast in this podcast. I mean, people tell me that all the time. <laughs> you're not so, talking as fast as Robin And Williams. I'm not even talking yeah. at a fraction yeah, of his one-tenth speed. one-tenth of his speed, So yeah. um, that's, you know, that kind of stuff. But overall, I think it's a very solid movie. I'm really glad I actually watched it finally. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it is... He did, I mean, both the character in the movie and Robin Williams had an incredible gift for doing something that not a lot of people can just do. Like, right. And what's cool is I think that this was a script that was picked up by his agent and he kind of essentially rewrote it from what I understand um, from what Adrian, uh, the real Adrian Cronauer had in mind. I think he kind of took a hold of this, got a hold of the script, kind of rewrote it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I think a majority of it is, I mean, so much of it. It's almost like Robin Williams improv, was like, doing to Adrian Cronauer what Adrian Cronauer was doing to his superiors in the, you know, in, in, in the... Right, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's hard to... I mean, you're, I think you're right. I think the second half is probably better. I think um, it's, it's good that they gave the character an actual an arc, you know, uh, as opposed to just making him... Uh, you know, kind of stick with this whole st- staying the same throughout the whole movie, which I feel like they could have done. And I, I feel like Good Morning Vietnam was also a part of like a lot of movies where, uh, you know, there was like a wave of these countercultural like rebels, yeah. the guy sticking it to the man kind of movies, and this like is Animal kind of his... House and uh, Footloose. You know, the guy moves to a town where dancing is banned, but all he likes to do is dance. You know, and, and even like I think even a Robin Williams kind of movie, he does. Patrick Adams reminds me a lot of. Um, mm-hmm. That, that kind of character that's a little bit kooky and subversive and he's like making fun of people the quips like you know yeah it's, it, it, I guess my defense is this is movie this movie is Patch Adams except good it actually has some depth like Patch Adams is the whole concept of Patch Adams is he's an unconventional doctor that right. should they're a hospital <laughs> that must follow the laws or people die and, and right. the, what happens well, yeah. and this movie actually takes the time to contextualize it and not and we're going to spoilers we assume you've seen the movie if mm-hmm. you're listening to this podcast the end of the movie is you know the twist being the Vietnamese friend he uh, has made is working with the Viet Cong and um, th- he there, is the Viet Cong he is the yeah. Viet Cong and uh, or he is the entire Viet Cong he, he is the mastermind <laughs> but that that gives this war a different perspective uh, not just the American end of it but that you know here are people living in a country that doesn't want you know interference and they're yeah. which shows you how messy the Vietnam conflict is it, it mm. is it is such a hard uh, issue to explain to someone like the reason I think that pe- World War II often gets made into movies is it's so easy cut it's and dry so black and white yeah. good and evil you have yeah. the most evil man in the world doing the most evil man and we're, and we're gonna stop him and mm-hmm. be- Vietnam just doesn't make a lot of sense when you try to like break yeah. it down like we're there because it's a police action because we don't want communism right. we don't have any relationship with them and the French were there and then they left and there's nothing there that it feels it's just hard to, it feels like madness so it's hard to 
quite right. not quite quite understand what is going on there. So I think that the messiness of that relationship with Tw- the character of Tuan is interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think his acting was certainly lacking. It, it, a couple scenes were just like, oh, I'm not a fan of we, it. It could have been it could have been the accent. It could have been maybe the accent was just very very heavy and it took away from some of the performance for me. But um, some scenes were great. Other scenes, I'm just like, oh man, this kid, I'm not I'm not buying it. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end, I, I liked what they did with it. And, I, and again, even again with his sister, it, it would have been easier for them just to make it, you know, he just falls in love with this girl and they have a relationship. But I'm like, that's not, I liked it because it said so much more about both characters and, and about the conflict as a whole. I think it couldn't have worked out. It, it didn't. And I think it was just, you know, he was lonely. He was desperate for some kind of a connection with people to, you know, feel like he belonged somewhere looking for a purpose, whatever. And he ended right. up finding it in his in his job of, as being a DJ, you know? I think they and did hint at some, some, like, sadness, even at the beginning of this movie in, in uh, Cronauer's character. I mean, there's this moment where he's off the mic, and it almost reminded me of... Um, did you ever see the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts? I love that movie. Dude. Yeah, that movie's a good movie. I love that and, movie. And, and Howard Stern, in, in real life and in that movie, in a lot of ways, is similar to Adrian Cronauer, where on the mic, he's, like, a completely different person than he is off the mic. Off the mic... In a, in, a, in a lot of scenes, you, you get a lot of scenes of Robin Williams, almost like he's like, kind of just like crouched down. And, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking this one scene in particular, where it's I think it's right after he's he's done his first performance, maybe. And, and there's a lot of like uh, talk about uh, things with I'm losing the the actual word term for it. Things with initials like MIA and KPT acronyms. acronyms yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a, he has this good riff on on you know. Acronyms and he said, yeah, he's, he's like five or six of them in a row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like all, all his superiors are using all these acronyms, and all and he says, "Well, we better do blah blah blah." Or this, this, right, that. right, and you know, at that moment, he's not like doing the Robin Williams shtick. He's he's he's, he's quiet, and I kind of appreciated that. The certain um, sad smile he has as right. he's sitting there by him. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think I just always enjoyed him uh, more as a you know in, in his kind of quieter uh, quieter moments and in his louder moments. Maybe because I couldn't follow what he was saying half the time. But you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to appreciate in his performances on air. I mean, just, just the fact that he sat there and improvised. You watch these other actors in the background. Who I'm just guessing that they're laughing for real. You know, yeah. like, I can't yeah. believe, like I can't believe what I'm hearing. Yeah, and think about. Yeah. I mean, he not only did he improvise, he improvised back in time. So he had right. to go to the '60s, figure right. out what was topical then, and, he had and then start from riffing. Being anachronistic. It could he couldn't he couldn't be making jokes about things well, in the late '80s like Reagan or well, not. Well, Reagan, I think or he actually that was he did some kind of. Uh, he, some red rum he quotes and that didn't come out until like so he, oh, did, he did say some things that are slightly out of time out of oh, uh, oh, out of time okay, yeah. I caught that okay um, there's a couple of things there, but for the most part I mean he kept it pretty much um, relative to the time period but just to be able to do that like I can't I can't speak that fluently about what's going mm-hmm. on right now let alone something that happened like you know two decades ago mm-hmm. so I think yeah it just tells you what, how adaptable he is and how, just how fast I mean I also appreciated a lot of the uh, the physical elements of his performance like when he's able to like pound on his chest to make it sound like oh yeah 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 yeah. you know to make it sound like like he's next to a helicopter yes yes like there's a lot and and again something else we haven't talked about which he's famous for is his impersonation for how well he's able to chameleon into other you know right um different voices completely different characters i I think Um, if robin williams hadn't gone on to be a major star or robin williams i mean i think this movie might have played a little uh, even even better for me honestly i mean just because i would who was this guy who gave this fantastic performance and was so you know amazingly over over the top. Who is this hairy man? Who is this? Who is this hairy man? But you know, as a hairy man, I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, he is a very hairy guy, though, man. Yeah, growing yeah, up, yeah. my favorite Robin Williams movie, I think, it was probably actually Dead Poet Society. That's the movie that always yeah. kind of hit the uh, you know chord. Yeah, struck a chord with me. 
Well, he's definitely more restrained in that movie. Yeah, but uh, but he also sure. this. I'd say the balance hits goes more towards the restraint, but he definitely has mm. a lot of moments where he's you know going kind of he's standing dancing on the desk, standing on the desk, whatever. Right. Yeah. One thing that kind of stood out to this movie uh, in viewing it now is how many actors are in this movie oh my god it's yeah. like names Forrest Whitaker is nine years old you got yeah. Bruno Kirby in there as a 12 year old like. yeah. first yeah Bruno Kirby you know we've this is the second Bruno Kirby movie yeah. we've discussed yeah. in this yeah. podcast and it's so and funny I always sans, sans mustache I gotta yeah. tell you man I wish he was still alive I think he's an amazing actor yeah. I Bruno Kirby passed away yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Oh man, how, how he old? Died of leukemia. He died of leukemia. Oh man, but he's awesome. I love Bruno Kirby. He's great. Kirby. Yeah. He's great. And um, and Forrest Whitaker plays like the happy galunk like. Uh, and it's so because yeah. I'm used to Forrest Whitaker as being this like badass like or you know. Intent- mm, he's always kind of been. I, I, I feel like kind of except for Last King of Scotland. I haven't seen him in a whole lot of roles. I just associate him with being like a, you know almost the same. Uh, it's just kind of like a badass kind of like a... Well, he's a big guy. He's yeah, just a yeah. I, just guy. Never, I don't think I've ever yeah. seen him in a joking world. Maybe it's just I, me. I have, this, I have this vivid memory of seeing this movie on VHS uh, on vacation with my parents and my mom cracking up every time Forrest Whitaker would try to start the car when the car was already started. <laughs> yeah. And that's like his kind of thing in the movie. So, I mean, other than being yeah, like but his, uh, even, his, kind of Robin Williams like, come on, man, you can do it. You can come back to work, man. You know, that, yeah. that, that character. And yeah, then, and then uh, what's it called? Uh, J.T. Walsh, who plays the um, uh, overbearing uh, commander, Sergeant right. Major... Sergeant Major Dickerson. Dickerson. <laughs> Major <Yeah>. Dick. And yeah. <laughs> uh, the best thing about... I don't think J.T. JT Walsh played that role in every movie he has ever appeared yeah. in. He has never yeah. been a nice guy. He's always been yeah. the white mm-hmm. dude who is like authority. That's a really yeah. white guy. Like his yeah. hair is white practically. <laughs> yeah. There like, used to be this website uh, like 10, 12 years ago called Fame Tracker. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. it, it, it the company, I was on there for a brief period. Fame Tracker. Making a comeback. Fame Tracker. Oh, yeah. it, was a, it was a satirical website that like measured. It was like the celebrity. I think the subtitle was the celebrity almanac of, of, the almanac of celebrities worth or something like that. And they would like every week they'd have like a celebrity audit, and they would have, and then they would have like a hey, it's that guy. And then when J.T. Walsh died, he died. He also died young. They, they called it the J.T. Walsh Memorial because he's like one of the ultimate hey, it's that guy. Like, he you know, totally you know, is. Yeah. Because uh, what else has he been in? Along, I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Uh, he was in a few Good Men, I believe. Yeah, a few Good he, Men. Uh, a lot of these war movies. He's were, always yeah. playing the stiff-shirted like authority guy. Yeah. yeah. If you watch enough movies from the mid '80s through the late '90s, you're gonna see J.T. Walsh. The other guy I would consider to be a, the, the big that guy. He, he also recently passed away. The guy who played he's in Meet the Parents and. Um, he was in Talented oh, Mr. Ripley. Uh, uh, James oh, Reb, Rebhorn. James Rebhorn is yeah. the other dude. Yeah, Who he's like he? tall, nasally voice. He played the principal in Sin of a Woman. Yes, that guy. Yeah. Was oh, he the guy with the voice like this? No. Yes, Smash. he sounds just like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> he was the guy. He was the dude that worked with uh, you Bruno to Kirby. There? No, no. Well, he's not in this movie, but he's one of those "Hey, it's that guy" guys. No, no, no. Who's the guy that was? He was working with uh, Kirby Hawk in the movie. Uh, he was like his right hand man. That was kind of like oh, I thought oh, it was pretty yeah. funny. You, you know, know that, 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 that actor. Voice. That actor. I, I had to look him up. Uh, he he's probably other. His most famous role is probably. Um, have you seen Do the Right Thing? The movie Do the Right Thing. Yeah. yeah. He, oh, he was, he was oh, John Turturro's brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah, in yeah the, the guy pizza in the shop, shop right? In yeah. the pizza shop, he was one of Sal's uh, brothers or sons okay. in the movie. Uh, Wait, so been, who are you talking about? Who's the tall guy? Yeah, Sorry, it's not he's in this movie. In, Don't worry about yeah, it. I, I went on a bad tangent. Forget it. So there were there are like a handful of these character actors. Welcome for bringing it back. <laughs> no, no, no women that you would, except for the uh, the love interest. But uh, well, here's it's funny that you mentioned that you didn't think the the young man who played Tuan was a good actor. And I have this thing, and I don't. This is gonna sound bad. Oh boy! But 
if I watch a foreign film and they're not either either not speaking English or they're speaking in a broken language, I think they're an amazing actor. <laughs> like, yeah. I, if I watch a foreign film that's not in English, I'm always thinking the acting is pretty good because it's hard for me to judge what whether natural not, yeah, what, whether natural yeah. cadence if that's accurate or not because I know how English should be spoken like I know what sounds normal but like if people are speaking like for instance the Raid movies I was talking mm-hmm. to Dave about this, the Raid earlier mm-hmm. like those are, guys are all amazing actors to me because like yeah. I don't know if that's <laughs> what they well, I, think for like. me, I think it's the opposite for me I think people with accents tend to not be good because they're not they don't have the subtlety of the language where they can really command well, that's right what, but I've been saying it sounds bad because he's not for all he knows they are bad I mean yeah, just, for all I know they're terrible. Terrible. I know but I'm saying for me it does the opposite because I because I, I don't have the subtleties that you would see in a really good actor for me it does the opposite I'm just wait are you saying broken English or another language both, both. oh wow no yeah see for me it's, if it's broken it doesn't have the same I'm like what like, an amazing actor he's uh, putting on this broken English right. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying it's, it's hard to connect with the like the inflections and the what he's saying well, it's just, the way it's he's saying because you're not, you're not used to it it's not as much yeah you're not connecting but it's more of like I, I don't buy it or I don't mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have the same grace. It doesn't have the same like dexterity that I think a good maybe, actor. Maybe, maybe, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's stiffer. It's stiffer, and it's less. It's less. You know, and it's, it's possible that some nuanced. of the, the dialogue in the script just wasn't that great. I would say the I stuff that, that wasn't like improv. I think improvised. his. I think his whole like pursuit of the woman is mm-hmm. was a real dumb plot device. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that worked at all. Like him just like chasing after women, like he's like right. insane essentially, right. like like a stalker would. It, it feels like something is, uh, an executive <laughs> said. Like you don't have him. There's no women in this movie. Like he, there's no yeah, love yeah, for interest. a love interest in there. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be much more interesting if he just happened to join in this English class and it befriended a young man who happened to be a Vietnamese right. dude. But yeah, um, yeah. So that that didn't quite work for me, and it felt that felt very Hollywood y. You know, exactly. like I've got yes. this thing about movies where yes. uh, we often venerate certain scenes as being like, isn't that romantic? But if mm-hmm. you were to do that in real life, people would be like, isn't That's that so creepy? That's so creepy. Yeah, yeah like, you get arrested. And, and the, yeah. the biggest offender for me is, uh, not to get, well, I'm going on tangents this episode and I apologize, but Love Actually, mm-hmm. uh, the scene with the cue cards, you know, the scene with the cue cards I've where he's like, or, uh, uh, he's holding it for Kira Knightley. Andrew Lincoln, I think yeah. the Walking Dead guy. Holds <laughs> up the cards for Kira Knightley to read and everyone's yeah. like, oh, isn't that sweet? No, that's creepy. Yes. You're going to your best friend's house mm-hmm. to go to his wife mm-hmm. to proclaim is love and then like a stalker outside mm-hmm. no that is, if that happened anywhere in real life mm-hmm. you'd be like can right. this psycho if you go weren't away? handsome and she wasn't beautiful then it would be you know, <laughs> then it would be creepy <laughs> and it wasn't a movie um, and like yeah if you show, if you were to show up at someone's English class and like and if uh, you show up at someone's English class take it over <laughs> and proclaim your love to him you'd be like this man's insane yeah <laughs> he needs to be committed well I think Garlic I think uh, Whitaker's character is kind of like the same right and he ends up like walking off like this is this effed up I, I don't want to be a part of this yeah but I mean going back to where the movie brings me back because I think that his fight, you know, to, to, like I said, that scene with him and the other soldiers really affected me in a big way because it's so simple but so brilliant because, as Mike mentioned... So in, in this scene, this is the scene where... Uh, they're stuck in traffic. He, he's decided he's not going to be on the air because he's pissed at his superiors and he's stuck in traffic and, yeah. and Forrest Whitaker's like, come on, man, you gotta, you got to come back. It's like, no, I'm done. I'm just, you know, he's basically saying, I'm disillusioned with the man. I'm not going to... Go, right, you know, man broke me, man. And then, but but then he the wants man. to show him how important it's he not the, is. Yeah, it's not the man that you're doing it for. Right. It's you're, you're doing, doing it for, it's these for the men. troops. Yes. For the men. doing it's it for the, the little man. And it's, it's the, uh, the and, many little men. And as a com- <laughs> as a comedian who uh, Robin Williams is and plays in this movie, he's Adrian Cronauer is essentially a comedian. Mm-hmm. He needs that audience. He lives off the feedback of his audience. Yeah, That's right. what makes him feel good. And I think again, I think that it's. A, I don't even know if the writers plan on doing this or not because it doesn't seem like it. But I think for me, I. You see someone in the beginning who has like a, 
you know, chasing after every woman that walks down the street because he's so desperate for human contact, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think he finds that in a different way. He finds it by, you know, in, in a way of understanding what his calling is, what he is doing for people, and how he can bring happiness to people's lives. I feel like he connects with the soldiers there. I think that kind of takes him on a different traje- trajectory at that point, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he kind of comes more to terms with the I th- I'm not sure which happens first. I think he talks to the girl after? After the class. Is it after the after he has the moment with the troops, or is it before? I can't remember. Either way, I feel like it's a trade-off. Like, he doesn't get the girl, before. but he has a strong purpose. I believe it's before, kind of, actually. Okay. He, which makes sense for the plot, actually. Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's, he's got nothing left at this point. He feels rejected, and mm-hmm. he kind of finds a, a reason for existing. One thing I want to talk about, because uh, I feel like we've discussed the plot a good amount, is... Um, just the way this movie looks. Mm-hmm. And uh, this isn't... It's directed by Barry Levinson, who right. went on to have a pretty famous career. He's made a mm-hmm. couple really bad movies, but he's also yeah. got a lot of very famous ones as well. Um, I believe he started out as a cinematographer, or is that just Barry Sonnenfeld? Uh, that was Barry Sonnenfeld. Okay. I'm not sure about Barry Levinson. Um, yeah, Barry Levinson was one of those directors that he kind of really earned his credit in the early 80s with movies like Diner, which was... Uh, had another was like it had a lot of other character actors that were famous like Paul Reiser and Steve Gutenberg and Mickey Rourke and uh, was Kevin Bacon in that film? Kevin Bacon and Ellen Barkin and um, yeah, a lot of young actors in the early eighties and then he uh, I think he made a movie called Tin Men which took place in Baltimore with Danny DeVito and he, you know, he made Danny a lot of movies. Danny DeVito yeah and uh, and then um, I believe he directed Wag the Dog as well. Wag the Dog but he but he hit it big with Rain Rain Man was his biggest commercial and critical oh, success and that came after this movie and it was almost like Good Morning Vietnam was this big hit um, and, and Rain Man was okay we have to give him an Oscar he won Best Picture Best Director the following year I think it was 88 with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman and then he made Toys yes oh, and then he made a lot of although a lot of people do actually love Toys believe it or not it's it's I've, I've been in some circles where people <laughs> may talk about Toys in a very positive light I've never really loved that movie um, but uh, for the most part, Barry Levinson movies were, I think, were at their peak in the, in the at this, you know, in the eight, early eighties, late eighties, and Wag the Dog was good too. I mean, because this is him coming off the Natural, mm-hmm. the Natural, the Robert Redford uh, baseball diner, movie. and then mm-hmm. uh, he made Good Morning Vietnam and then Rain Man. So this is yeah. definitely at the peak of his career. I think the thing I think most interesting about watching movies and watching movies for this podcast is movies just look different now. Right. And and this is this may have something to do with film or digital or whatever, but um and I don't want to sound too much like an old fogey, but movies have texture. It's mm-hmm. hard to explain, but you watch this movie and you can tell it was shot in film and it just looks like even movies that are shot on film nowadays look almost too good in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything's got mm-hmm. uh, and something I mean, about, a lot of it has to do probably with I would say the advent of CG and graphics. You can kind of tweak things. Not you just that, but the, you know, the quality yeah. of film, the quality of digital projection and everything is has gotten better, so Things look cleaner now, and and, and, and I, they did. And it's just, and I guess the movie doesn't even feel seem like it was that old. It's nineteen eighty seven or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you just watch this movie against like a movie that comes out nowadays, and the difference. It feels it, older to me than eighty seven. I feel like it's God. It's early eighties, late seventies, actually. And I just, I, I really, you know, came across to me, and I think there, there's a difference in pacing in movies back then. I think there's a difference in the way they look and how they're shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that movement is a lot more. Um, um, the, the the movement that is done in movies back in this time feel more uh, decisive for that moment. Like mm-hmm. it feels like a decision was made mm-hmm. a lot of times because uh, you know it's harder to do movement. It's yeah. just harder to do certain camera movements. Yeah. So like when he does when he does a helicopter shot, 
I'm like, whoa, this is a big difference from what we've just been watching. Now right. we're, you know, a shot from a helicopter and, yeah. and so and so forth. So um, I just find that very interesting, just how the nature of film has changed. And one day we need to get like a we need to get like a 14 year old in this podcast one day <laughs> and talk about. Just Aren't like, you kind of filling that role? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. uh, I am actually. One of the three of us is, for God's sake. Come but on. like, I'm just very curious to know how they would feel about like. Do they even notice that when they watch it? Like, if they were to watch Good Morning Vietnam, would they even notice, like, this movie looks different, you know? Yeah, this movie looks like crap. It's, well, not it's, like it's, like like crap. it's not like it's an obvious difference. Like, oh, it's in black and white, and it's, you know, uh, the sound doesn't sync up. Like, it's, it's here's a movie that's, you know, in color and just looks different, you know? Yeah, yeah. Cinema looks different, so. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think uh, the editing is different, the pacing is different. I, I do think that uh, this movie did follow Platoon, which came out the previous year and won Best Picture. So I think there are some elements that do feel like you know, there there were certain uh, certain look to Vietnam movies uh, in this in this era, where you know, you're getting the texture of the street, the texture of, you know of what is, uh, you know, the trees and the the feeling that everything's really hot and muggy, and uh, you know, uh, I feel like uh, he captured that. You know, he made you feel like you were there in Vietnam. I actually got to go to Vietnam when, uh, in college, so it uh, you know I feel like you served. Yeah. Oh yeah, I served. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I was it was a semester of C <laughs> in in college, and so uh, you know I think that uh, they get the texture uh, right. I also wanted to point out uh, one thing. Uh, going off on a tangent myself, there's uh, I I love it. I love the scene where Rob Williams gets in a bar fight. Like, and it made me think. Like, yeah, he never actually. I mean, there were a lot of actors who you, who you now think as action stars, like say Tom Cruise. And those, you know, he didn't really start out as like an action movie guy. Yeah, he's definitely that. And, and, and it made me think, like, what if Robin Williams had like gone on to like an action, an career. action kind of career? <laughs> you know, he was that headbutt was pretty pretty boss. Man. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, you know, I I feel like that's you know maybe that's a cliche. Like every single military movie has to have a bar fight mm-hmm. with another member of the military. Right. It's a guy well, with Bob a big Gun jaw. It was always like a chest, like. Yeah, come on. The whole movie was practically a bar fight. You know what I mean? Like, but they never actually, it was all tension. They never actually yeah, yeah. fought. Robert. <laughs> Homoerotic tension. <laughs> well, we should watch Top Gun again, guys. Oh, the best God, kind of no. no, there was one There was one quote I read. I was, I was digging a little bit. And there was this New York Times review of, uh, you know, so it was really highly, like the movie came out and at the time was very highly regarded at the time. Like it, it wasn't one of those movies that grew in stature over the years. It just it got great reviews back then, back in 87. So the New York Times review was was talking about his performance and was saying each Robin Williams uh, film has had its endearing moments. Uh, he has he actually hadn't made that many movies, strangely enough. But there was always a feeling that uh, an oddball natural resource was being inefficiently used as if Arnold Schwarzenegger had been asked to host Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> and, and that got me thinking, like, you couldn't really... I, I couldn't really imagine... Just like, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator or something, it's hard to imagine anyone else in this role of Adrian Clark. Oh, yeah. In this, at least... Well, then because they, because they took it, like, wrestled it down, it became theirs, they owned it. Right. You know, I could never imagine yeah, someone it's else. Yeah, and also, it, it, I think you said it correctly, Dave, it's in this portrayal of Adrian Cronauer. Right. No one could do this the way Robin Williams does right. it. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, someone could certainly fill that role, but it would be a very different movie. It would be a very different it'd character. It would be a totally different movie. Right. Um, and, yeah, it would just, I feel like it would be a lot more like probably the real Adrian Cronauer would have wanted it to be. Probably. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, you, you get the feeling that uh, everyone involved in this movie was probably on, you know, uh, politically left-leaning, and I'm assuming Adrian Cronauer 
was uh, not so happy about, <laughs> about the result. He liked the so, paycheck, dude. <laughs> he liked the paycheck. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he's did. doing okay, I think. I think he's okay with this. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any other like round robin final thoughts? As you know, uh, I do have one big oh, thing to point out, and that buckle is, in, people. It, Get ready. I don't know how how true this is, but but uh, going Dropping through forms, knowledge. apparently Bruno Kirby's uh, dickhead character was based uh, on Pat Sa- Pat, Pat Sajak, the Wheel of Fortune host. What was? <laughs> if you look up, Pat Sajak if, seems like such you, a nice guy. Yes, if, if you well here, I'm sure it was exaggerated, but if, uh, the character who. Follows and basically the, his superior, I think, was uh, Adrian. If you look up Adrian Cronauer and Pat Sajak, you'll find that they did uh, work at the same radio station. And then there are other people who were saying that Pat Sajak was uh, the inspiration for Bruno Kirby's character in Good Morning Vietnam. You know, and, and you know that said, I mean, Bruno Kirby's character is played a little larger than than life. I don't feel like, I feel like he's a little exaggerated in, um, in, in how much of a dick. That character probably, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's a yeah. little over the top. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I know funny. Right. Do He's th- a little over the top in how unfunny he actually is. You know? Yeah. Do you think um, but you know he looks, has an uncanny resemblance to Giovanni Ribibzi or Ribisi? Yeah, Ribisi? Not an uncanny I'll tell you who he reminds you of. He reminds you a little bit of a better version of Shia Lebois. Huh. Shia Lebois. Shia Lebois. Shia Lebois. I don't know. Dave disagrees with me. Yeah, you mean in, in looks or performance? Uh, looks and that same kind of whiny performance. Yeah. Sorry, so Pat Sajak I'm sorry, does man. have a connection to this movie. I think if you you, uh, you Google it, you'll find a little Pat Sajak. So Pat, Pat Sajak is a guy yelling like, "That's not funny." Yeah. I know funny. Yes, Possibly. it's a French guy. I'll tell you what. Honestly, <laughs> I liked I liked because he was like almost funny, but so close that it was awful. Right. Like it was, like I, I think that was that part I liked when he went on the radio and I'm like, okay, I see why he thinks he's funny. Right. But my God. Yeah. There's also a little <laughs> bit of pathos there because um there's something very disconcerting about wanting to do something very bad and realizing you're not good oh, enough I know. to do it. Mm-hmm. I know, man. As an artist, you look at that and you're like, how do I know if I'm not that guy or not? Because, like, what if um, I'm doing the same thing? I think that, yeah, exactly. Like, I think there's, like, I think every day I wake up and think that. It's like, maybe I'm really not that good. I'm good at what I do. I know I'm good. And everyone's like, oh, man. No, man. Yeah, yeah it looks good. Yeah, I mean, when do you go from being uh, deluded to, <laughs> to to actually having talent, you know? So, yeah. what did you guys think of the Very fine uh, line? I think the, all the uh, exposition that was kind of uh, the the typewriter exposition. Like there was, a, I feel like there were a lot of movies in the late seventies and, and the eighties where it was like a typewriter was letting you know what was going on. But in this, it's loud. not really exposition. It's just kind of it's the news story. It's setting. Right? Well, it's setting. like giving you time and place, and, and that's fine. Well, what's yeah, another other example of that? Uh, all the presidents. Man. Oh, that's oh, the only oh, one I can about, think uh, of. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about uh, uh, L.A. Confidential? Probably. I At the beginning, remember. he's tapping out the typewriter and he's like narrating and. But it actually, like yeah. reading it on screen. I know what you're talking about. Like right. the idea that like you're getting your information mm-hmm. that kind of way. But uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I feel like there's probably been tons of movies. I mean, I just I. <laughs> it's so just, you're saying uh, it's cliche? No, I'm but you saying, have no I'm, hard evidence kind of to back it up. It, I'm saying. I, you know, oh, I appreciate it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I liked it too. I thought it was cool. I also, I also enjoyed Robert Wool in this movie. I've never really been a huge Who's fan he? of him. He was uh, Taylor. He was just one of those one of those uh, one of those disc jockeys that. Uh, oh, they got the red hair. He, no, he he was uh, he was in the first Batman uh, Tim Burton movie. Who was he, he in this the, movie? Uh, the news reporter. Uh, I forget his character's name, but he yeah, was just, he's, he's he was one of the guys that liked Robin Williams. The really, he's his roommate. Yeah, his yeah, roommate. Yeah. Yes, the one yeah. his roommate. It was, it was yes. a roommate. Okay. I loved watching him in the background as like Robin Williams let the jokes fly, and he's like falling out of his chair, and he's like right. throwing things in the air. He's like jumping around in the background, right. like yeah. I uh, 
Yeah, he's. I think all the supporting guests are actually pretty strong in this film. And then going back to your talk, talking about what the, the typewriter, I liked all the close-ups to the various equipment. There's something that is mm-hmm. very interesting to me um, when they do like tight oh, close-ups of, of the yeah the, the, the dials and the the green and red box. Yeah, I think the, that's cool. Yeah. I think it's a good yeah. way. To, it's a really interesting way to convey information, especially for a non-technical audience, but still to understand what's going on. And I think also I liked seeing because I think uh, Robin Williams was going to come across to me as like the guy who's just like you know. He's really good at what, like, comedian, he's got a lot of funny things, but does he really know what he's doing? But it's kind of cool seeing him in his element because he knows exactly what to do. He's firing everything up. He's ready to go. He's running in late, and you're like, oh, God, this guy just doesn't know what he's doing. And he's a professional, and in his own way, I think he has been doing this for a while, and it shows when he's in the booth, and he's kind of, like, in his element. Um, I also wanted to point out that Adrian Cronauer was born in my hometown of Pittsburgh, and uh, he helped found the... uh, college radio station he went to the university of pittsburgh where i went to college and the radio station there is called wpts so any pittsburgh listeners out here can know that adrian cronauer the real guy helped found that radio station and uh yours truly actually co-hosted a show briefly uh, on that station on that station you do remind me a little bit of cronauer no 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 no, no. i I had a friend a friend that i grew up with uh was uh he liked heavy metal and he liked radio and so he he got a uh a six thirty AM heavy metal radio show. Did you have long hair? Please tell me you had long hair. I had long hair for a year. I had long I hair for many years, actually. We okay. should have a long hair off. So we should anyway, start wrapping this the show. The point up. is that uh, <laughs> yeah, so Pittsburgh listeners, there's a little connection there. All right. So you want to start uh, closing this one down? I think when you got to the long hair discussion, I think we're good. I've been so upset he never had long hair. I think you should grow it out. I can't. Grow out the fro, man. I just can't do it. have long hair, Mike. We've yes, you can. It would just go up. It, it would, would just go up. I would not. Do it. It would not, like, drape down. Right. Like, like curtains. Any, yeah, it would not be yeah. flowing long. Up is still long. You know? It is. In the wrong way when it comes to hair. All right, what are we doing next week? Dave, uh, it's your, your so turn, I think. It's my yeah. turn, and we were talking about this before the podcast. What are you going to put us through this Ball, week? Fall, fall, summer's ending. Oh my god! Oh my god! I feel coming. Here we go. You you do say babe. You gonna do babe, aren't you? No, no, no. I'm not gonna. I was tempted to to do babe. Fall's fall's almost here, which means we have hockey season. We have basketball season. We have slap shot. We have uh, football season. Sports. Rudy starting. Rudy. No, close. Rudy. Same director. I was thinking Hoosiers. Have you seen Hoosiers? No, but it already sounds boring. Vito. I, I, Vito Hoosiers. Vito. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman? Jackman? Gene Hackman. It's one, like, one it's of our a, greatest It's one actors. of the great underdog sports movies of all time. And it's a sports uh, Another one? Hoosiers. <laughs> what was the last one we've done? Oh, no. We haven't done any of them. There's just a billion yeah. of oh, them out there. Oh, this is the one before all those other movies we've we made. Done, of uh, course. We, we of did, course. We did Field of Dreams to start off uh, oh, yeah. spring and summer. Okay. So we're going to do Hoosiers to start off the fall. That's cool. I've seen We're going to do Hoosiers. Hoosier Daddy. By the time we do this, it'll be closer to fall, right? It's going to be like middle of September, so it's going to make more sense in two weeks. We're all going to get it. I'm like, oh, he's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, Hoosiers. I'm in. All right, cool. All right, you in? I'm Hoosiers. in. Right. I don't think I have a choice. I'm in by default. <laughs> I'm handcuffed to the next movie. <laughs> to be nah. fair, you choose the next one. So. Hey, no, you're, you're I'll be, up I'm, next. I'm, I'll be very curious to see how you, you react to this movie. Yeah, but I chose Good Morning Vietnam. No, yeah. the audience did. Well, he said Robin Williams. All right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. (laughs) So closing out uh, this week's episode, uh, Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Um, Oh, on the internet. Oh, that's what you meant. Give me your address as well and phone number. My address, absolutely. Uh, So my uh, my web address (laughs) is MikeMirandi.com. And uh, on Twitter, I'm at MikeMirandi, of all things. Dave, go. 
uh, Dave Glanz on Twitter, G-L-A-N-Z, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. Dave, Dave's got like 8,000 followers, so you want to get in on that. Right, get in on 8,000. Get it while it's hot. Um, and I am at Ivan Kander at Twitter, Lucky9Studios.com, and I write for a website called Short of the Week. Short of the Week. Dot com. Dot com. So if you want to find this podcast on the web. This can, podcast on the web. <laughs> on the web. You can do so at www.ReviewedPodcast.com. Dot com. Dot com. Facebook.com <laughs> slash com. reviewed podcast. <laughs> and email us at contact at reviewed podcast. Dot com. This is great. This is my radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> I just slip right into it. Um, and so until next time, thanks so much for watching and listening. We will be talking about Hoosiers next time. Before we go, does anyone want to give us a good good morning Vietnam? Good morning, Vietnam! And that was the baby waking up right there. (laughs) (laughs) That's her screaming. All right, bye. (laughs) 